2: Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. And welcome to the exchange. A major sell-off on Wall Street today as investors start to seriously worry about the increasing number of newly confirmed COVID cases around the country. Stocks hit session lows as New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut announced they're ordering visitors from outbreak states to quarantine for 14 days when entering their borders. Dow's down 600. Let's head to Dom Chu for a look at where we stand. Dom?
3: Well, we stand better than we did just about an hour or two ago. So take a look at this. The Dow Industrial's down just about 600 points right now, north of 2% losses. S&P 500 similar percentage losses, down 68 points, and the Nasdaq Composite, the real standout of the year so far in 2020, outperforming down about one and three quarters percent. I would note, though, at the lows of the day, the Dow Industrials were down about 895 or 859 or so points. So keep an eye on that. One other thing to watch is the S&P 500 levels right now, because if you look at a one-year chart. 3,020 represents one level that some traders are watching. That represents the longer-term average or 200-day average price of the S&P, something to watch. Now, as we look at the sectors, every one of them, all 11, are in negative territory. The outperformers, as you can imagine, utilities, consumer staples, the ones that are more defensive in nature. Meanwhile, you've got highly economically sensitive sectors like energy, down about 5% right now. On some falling oil prices. And speaking of those falling oil prices, take a look at a one year chart of crude oil. Remember, a huge move off the lows that we saw during COVID 19, but just yesterday, crude hit the highest prices, Kelly, since before the COVID-19 pandemic really took hold. A big loss today. We'll see if that picks up some steam in the afternoon session. I'll see you back for the oil close in the next hour. Back over to you.
2: Yeah, we had just gone over 40. Dom, thanks so much. And we'll see you then. For more on what's behind this sell off. Let's go to Bob Pisani. Bob, what jumps out to you?
1: Well, first off, there's three big issues. But first and most important is the reopening story. Is it going well or not? It's not going well today. You heard of Governor Cuomo threatening to shut down again if there's not more social distancing. Problems in other states as well. So we're seeing some weakness. Trade and travel always the first things that get hit. Carnival Cruise Lines has its own issues. It got uh, debt uh, rating down to junk. Uh, there, Barclays downgraded the cruise lines to, uh, from overweight. Uh, not sure why they did that uh, overall, why they had it in an overweight, but you see them getting hit and the airlines getting hit as well. The second story is tariff and trade. Not China, but this time with the European Union, there's been talk about additional tariffs against the European Union on everything from uh, gin to food products to luxury products. So All the luxury stocks here uh, are down on that. We see some of the auto stocks in Europe got hit pretty hard overnight as well. Don mentioned oil as well. You were at 40, got a 5% drop. We had inventory levels come out, higher inventories there, and these oil stocks are all down. They look like inverted Vs, by the way. Conoco kind of went from 40 to 50 and back essentially to 40 or $41 in less than a month. And it's the same with the banks. And here's another big area of worry. We're waiting for the stress test from the banks to come out. We might be hearing about dividend cuts. This is going to be tomorrow. We don't know yet. But these stocks have been acting horribly recently. Key Corp was 12, it went to 16, and now it's essentially sitting back around $12 again. Again, an inverted V in about a month, all on those concerns about potentially lower dividends. A host of problems today. Guys, back to you.
2: All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. Let's get more on this sell-off and what could be next for the markets. Joining me now are Paul Meeks, Portfolio Manager at Independent Solutions Wealth Management. Nancy Tangler is Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler Management. And Janelle Woodward is Head of Fixed Income at BMO Global Asset Management. It's great to have all of you here. Paul, I'm going to begin with you because especially as a tech investor, you say this is the most bullish you've ever been. Do shutdowns, do coronavirus all play into that?
4: So I've been around a long time, so I'm comparing the fundamentals to the advent of the Internet in the late uh, 90s, early 2000s. One of the things that I've seen is you would expect tech stocks being uh, high beta stocks or volatile names to outperform when the market's rising. But one of the things that uh, really proved their mettle is when the market was crashing between mid-February and mid-March, this was not the best performing of the 11 sectors that comprise the S&P. It was number two or three. So... To answer your question directly, yes, I do think with some of these COVID oriented themes that tech will continue to perform when the market rises, and I think it'll actually be unusually so a relatively safe haven.
2: Yeah, and I want to come back and dig into that a little bit, but first to get everybody else's thoughts, Nancy. As it relates to tech, would you be overweighting a lot of these companies now because they have been both outperforming, you know, during times of market expansion, although a little bit less so, obviously, but certainly outperforming anytime we get more concerned about shutdowns.
5: Yes, Kelly, I've actually been talking about that for a number of years. This was our next three to five year. Um, overweight trade and our our sector for the decade, um, and and I would I would agree I would echo what Paul's saying. You know the, the valuations are not where they were in ninety nine two thousand. I was a PM back then as well. Uh, and what we're seeing is that they are, are becoming a safe trade. So um, Bob mentioned earlier the defensive sectors like utilities. I mean, the valuations on utility stocks relative to technology and relative to growth are much higher if you look at where we're getting revenue growth. So we, we used the weakness to add to a number of names, uh, to, to, to buy some new names. And then in, in the run-up, we've been trimming back on some of the names like Apple, where we're just way overweighted. But yeah, we love the sector and we, we continue to think it's the story for the next three to five, 10 years. Yeah, and
2: I see you're adding to positions in Microsoft, uh, Palo Alto, uh, Salesforce and Splunk, uh, just to name a couple. Janelle, let me turn to you. What is the message from fixed income markets these days? We know the level of the 10 year uh, Treasury yield is still very low, but we've also seen an uptick in inflation expectations lately. What what can you tell from everything that you watch here?
6: Yeah, I think um, what we've seen is that there's a lot of look forward to 2021 in terms of the economy normalizing and there being a lot of support from the policy put into place. Um, I think the tech conversation is really interesting as we look at credit sectors Technology has also been the top-performing credit sector in fixed income on a year-to-date basis. What's a little bit different, though, as we think about tech in the context of a fixed income portfolio, is really we have two camps, one that's definitionally higher credit qualities, your Apples, your Amazons, your Microsofts, which are double and triple-A rated. And while they don't offer a lot of spread, they can be very defensive in a portfolio. And then the other side, some of the deeper high-yield names, the Teslas and the Netflix. Uh, So it's very interesting to think about what's taking place. the opportunities in the market, but then pull them back into a fixed income portfolio.
2: Yeah. Nancy, what are your thoughts on the likelihood of further shutdowns or just, you know, I don't know if shutdowns themselves will happen. I'm curious what you're what you think about that. But there's obviously going to be a lot more um, self-quarantining behavior or people just kind of choosing to stay at home. I think in Texas, the governor encouraged everybody again to stay at home unless you absolutely have to go out. Uh, What are you picking up on in terms of the overall economic and market impact of that? Yeah, so, Kelly, I'm
5: in one of the hot spots, which is Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, y- you know, the-, the hospitals still are at capacity uh, or not have capacity in the ICU units. Uh, last time I looked, it was 30 percent of the beds are empty. Uh, and ICU units are usually meant to run full. So I think there's a difference between cases and, um, you know, serious hospitalized cases uh, and and pending death so we're not you know we're i went out to dinner last night the restaurant you, know, you wear a mask going in but you take it off when you get inside and the restaurant was full so i think hmm. um an indoor restaurant with air conditioning uh, yeah yep interesting yep and so i think i think that um individuals are sort of saying uh, I got to carry on with my life and I'm going to do it carefully. And I think the market, for the most part, has been looking through the rise in cases because, as Steve uh, Mnuchin said, we, we can't shut the economy down again.
2: Sure. And one more question. Now I feel like uh, I'm, I'm an interrogator here. Were you socially distant uh, at dinner last night, Nancy? I, again, <laughs> here in New Jersey, I mean, we have just started having restaurants with outdoor seating and they make a whole show of it with you know liners between each table and the idea of walking into a restaurant and sitting there without a mask on sounds crazy in the, in these parts of the country i i know it and yes at my
5: age i'm i'm socially distant of course <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, no, uh,
2: definitely. Yeah, no, and you want, does that make enough difference or is stuff, you know, being piped around in there? Anyway, uh, let me get off this, Paul, and get back to technology in general. You know, for somebody like you who's been through so many of these cycles, including dot-com, I would expect you to come out at a time like this and say, you know, I'm now more concerned about valuations. I'm more concerned about how loved these stocks are and how widely owned they are and how top-heavy they are. It's fascinating to me that you don't feel that way. Explain just how much further you think this tech trade could go.
4: So, first of all, my comments about the fundamentals, not necessarily the valuation. There are some valuations within tech that are stretched, and there are some other valuations within tech that are super stretched. So I am concerned. However, I would tell you this, uh, tech is not uh, a monolith. There are going to be good areas and bad areas. And within some of the themes, artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, cloud computing, and some of the others, what I've seen over my career is typically the strong get stronger. And I think that has uh, been borne out during the COVID when you see the announcements from some of the major companies that things are going so well and actually accelerating for them that I feel pretty comfortable with some of the major names, not all of them, but some of the major names.
2: All right. And finally, Janelle, before we go, we did hear from the Fed's Charles Evans about 10 minutes before the top of the hour. Among his other comments about his concerns on the economy, he did say more fiscal and monetary policy action may be necessary. You know, markets are a little bit off their lows of the session. How much more might authorities have to do here to kind of offset the concerns people have about the economy as the case count of coronavirus spikes?
6: I think one of the things we're certainly looking for is uh, additional fiscal support. I think the Fed has made it clear, and if we look back to its secondary purchase program of corporates, stepping in after that first real week of widening volatility we saw a couple weeks ago, it's clear they're going to continue to support these markets, but we are looking towards fiscal support. Uh, one of the areas we've seen lag in credit sectors is the cyclical versus non-cyclical trade, and we think fiscal support will help uh, collapse some of that gaps. And it's one of the places we are looking for opportunities, specifically in in the transportation sector.
2: Transportation. All right, and Paul, you think people should have forty percent of their equities in tech stocks?
4: Yeah, the way I look at it is within the S and uh, the tech sector itself is about twenty five percent weight. Then you take a look at the communication services stocks and the e-tailers, which are within the consumer discretionary sector. And it's not a stretch to get to at least 40% of an equity portfolio in tech or what I call tech-ish.
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh, that certainly says a lot about how this economy is changing. Thank you guys all today. Paul Meeks, Nancy Tangler and Janelle Woodward talking about tech and the broader markets. We're going to have more coming up. A surge in cases is weighing on the markets right now. New York, New Jersey and Connecticut all issuing new restrictions on out of state travelers. Will any cities be forced to shut down again? We'll explore that. Plus, the new list of stocks to buy as the stay at home trend proves longer lasting. Bank of America will be here with those names. And let's take a look at the Dow 30 heat map as we go. Not a single single name in the green right now. All 30 Dow stocks are lower. We're down 633. We're back in two.
7: This is The Exchange on
8: CNBC.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Welcome back to The Exchange. More and more states are pushing ahead with reopenings and events, despite what Dr. Fauci calls a disturbing surge in cases across the country. That's now leading New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut to issue a travel advisory for people from certain hotspots. Meg Terrell joins us now with the very latest. Meg? Meg?
9: Hey, Kelly. Well, New York was one of the states that yesterday Dr. Fauci praised as doing well right now in terms of the trends. And the tables have turned. Governor Cuomo, along with the governors from New Jersey and Connecticut, announcing this travel advisory uh, that right now applies to nine states uh, where People coming from those states into the tri-state area will need to self-isolate for 14 days. The criteria for how these states are selected is those that have an infection rate of 10 per 100,000 people on a seven-day rolling average or where 10% of the total population's testing positive on a seven day rolling average. So this really tracks with the hotspots that we've been watching uh, over the last couple weeks. Uh, now, Florida today reporting a record high in new cases yet again, more than 5,500 daily cases reported today. And concerningly the positivity rate in Florida, now up to 16%, it was about 11% yesterday. Broward County, which encapsulates Fort Lauderdale on the Eastern coast of of Florida issuing an emergency order saying any establishment uh, that violates protocols for being open shall close immediately, so trying to crack down on the local level there in Florida. And this, Kelly, as hospitalizations in at least seven states hit record highs yesterday for those who are currently in the hospital, uh, from California to Arizona, Texas. Arkansas, Tennessee, and North and South Carolina, again, kind of matching up with those states facing uh, the quarantine order if they want to come into the tri-state area. Kelly, back to you.
2: Yep, that's a big about face uh, from when the southern states were trying to quarantine northern visitors. Meg, thanks very much. Meg Terrell with the latest there. And healthcare in general is down more than 2% right now as the market sells off on a surge in COVID cases. Officine is bad, especially for the hospital sector. They lose the ability to do other services. Joining me now to talk more about these COVID trends is Bill Hanage. He's associate professor of epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. It's great to have you here. And what do you think we need to know about where we're seeing these infections about the death uh, count in particular, the hospitalization rate. I mean, what, what is the most important takeaway for the public right now?
10: I think the most important takeaway right now is that we are seeing cases increasing across the Sunbelt because we've already had a pretty stern lesson in what this virus can do back in the spring when we saw a lot of cases in the Northeast, where I live. And there was a very, very large outbreak up here. And so far, the rest of the country has been spared it. But now you can see over the last few weeks, as we were just hearing from Meg, that there have been increases across the Sunbelt. And I'm particularly concerned about some of those hospitalization data. And the reason is that hospitalizations are what we think of as a lagging indicator because they're a little bit behind the actual infections because infections happen in the past. And then mm-hmm. a couple of weeks later, people start being hospitalized. And then a few weeks after that, people start dying. Now, it's been very unclear what's been going on across the South because of the different types of testing. But the fact that it's happening pretty much everywhere indicates that we have a real problem on our hands there.
2: What would you say about the treatment for those who were involved in the first wave, where we knew very little, where ventilator treatment was one of the first methods used and often to poor effect? Uh, are are the methods improving, you know, are the prospects improving for coronavirus? And Does it even matter? I mean, does this really come down to hospital capacity, ICU capacity? And if that's a lagging indicator, you know, for those areas that may be considering shutdowns, how should they know when to impose them?
10: It's a really, really great question. So first of all, to improvements in treatment. We have seen improvements in treatment, you know, the trial, which the results of which came out last week or maybe the week before of dexamethasone. That's very, very helpful. It's great. And that's something which will help the most severely ill people. We've also learned that we can do different things which avoid ventilation, which is great because everybody should want to avoid ventilation if they can. However, that doesn't mean we're out of the woods. And one of the most important things for people who are talking about shutdowns and the like is, you know, we want to avoid shutdowns. We want to avoid catastrophic consequences for economy. But if you are sitting on a body of community transmission for long enough that the only thing you can do is something which is really severe, well... That's the problem. You have to start taking milder action sooner. And when I talk about testing, you don't just test. You know what you're going to do if you get a certain kind of result. And that's the kind of thing I would like to be seeing more of. I'd like to be seeing more of governors and more of local jurisdictions coming up with, you know, real interventions that they're able to do in order to prevent more people becoming infected and more people entering hospital and more people dying.
2: And there would seem to be a big opportunity for, you know, kind of knowledge sharing. You know, those hospitals in New Jersey and Queens and and the hotspots up here, you know, hopefully are able to share best practices with those who are now in the middle of this. Because certainly those people who I know who have worked in these facilities say they feel better prepared now uh, to handle an influx of cases. Maybe they've figured out how to deal with surge capacity and that sort of thing. If doctor, or if doctor, I call you doctor. Well, we'll call you doctor. Uh, if that's the case, Bill, um, is it possible that the Sun Belt can manage through this outbreak without having to resort to more shutdowns?
10: That's, a, that's an, again, a very good question. I think the knowledge sharing is incredibly important. I think that we would have to be considering how confident are we that we can completely avoid that kind of, you know, the kind of catastrophic outcomes we saw in the northeast. Now, one thing I'm going to say, which is positive about the Sun Belt, I think they have better testing. Hmm. I think you can see that in the fact that you're getting a younger age profile, um, but it does mean that there's a larger quantity of transmission building in the community. I think that we can we can hopefully take a lighter touch, but people need to be looking at the data and thinking, how happy am I? How, how prepared am I to be wrong? Which consequences am I willing to live with?
2: Yeah, I know there's so many difficult decisions to make. Uh, Mr. Hanage, thanks so much. We hope to have you back. Thank you. William Hanage with Harvard's Teach Chan School of Public Health. Well, we just had the largest five-year Treasury auction ever. Let's bring in Rick Santelli with the results and a grade. Rick, how'd it go?
4: Yeah, B-plus, it went very well. Yes, $47 billion, the largest five-year ever. The yield at the Dutch auction, 0.33. One-third of 1%, the lowest yield at an auction ever. I could go through the internals, suffice it to say, Bid cover? Well, it was the second best since July of 18. And if you look at indirects and the dealer percentages being small, they were the best since December of 19. All in all, every category excelled. Solid auction. And when did it occur? On a day where the Dow Jones Industrial Average was toying with down 3%. It makes sense. The market for securities is in vogue, especially in sessions where the equities aren't. Kelly. Back to you. So true. Rick, thanks very much,
2: Rick Santelli, with those auction results. Coming up, the cruise stocks are the worst S&P performers today as Carnival gets downgraded to junk. Barclays downgraded the whole sector, and the EU may ban U.S. citizens. We'll have all the details next. Plus, restaurants and retailers have a lot at stake if states begin to close down again. We'll look at who is most at risk. Stay with us.
7: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night.
2: Welcome back to The Exchange. Not a pretty picture in the markets today. The Dow's down 665 points. We're about 200 off the session lows. Still, it's a 2.5% drop for the blue chips. Same pretty much for the S&P, which is down 76 right now. And the Nasdaq is the outperformer, as we've been discussing. It's only down 2% or 201, back below 10,000. Let's get to Rahel Solomon. She has our CNBC News update. Rahel.
11: Hi, Kelly. And here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Let's start in New York, where Governor Andrew Cuomo says that the federal government has been, quote, incompetent in handling the pandemic. He also has criticism for states that have rushed to reopen their economies and are now suffering new outbreaks.
1: You look at Arizona, you look at Texas, you look at all these states, you know what you see? You see an arrow going up because it was misguided to say we're going to reopen the economy. What you're doing is you're putting people's lives in jeopardy you're hurting the economy.
11: Brooks Kepka, the number four ranked golf player in the world, has withdrawn from the Travelers Championship tournament. This is after his caddy tested positive for COVID-19. <clears throat> Koepka, excuse me, is the third player to pull out of the event. Kelly, that is set to tee off tomorrow, and that is our CNBC News update at this hour. Kelly, I'll send it back to you. We're
2: wondering about golf for hell. We're wondering about the NBA. We're wondering about so baseball. Questions. Yep. Thank you, Uh, Rahel Solomon, with our headlines there. Let's turn to the cruise lines, which are the worst S&P 500 performers today with declines of more than 10 percent. Seema Modi joins me with more on what's behind these moves. And there's a lot, Seema.
11: Yeah, Kelly, and the losses accelerated for the cruise lines following that report of a quarantine by tri-state states. And we are seeing the cruise lines currently on a percentage basis, the worst performing sector, uh, down as much as 9 to 10 percent. Separately, Barclays downgraded Royal Caribbean and Norwegian, while Carnival's rating was downgraded to junk status by credit rating agency S&P. The credit rating agency raising concerns about Carnival's ability to raise further capital at attractive terms. Stocks are also responding to reports that the EU may unveil a ban on American travelers starting July 1st. The U.S. travel organization telling me that if Europe moves ahead with this, it raises the risk of a retaliatory response from the U.S. government. So uh, this is certainly a story that we're watching very closely at a time when Europe is just starting to open its borders to international travelers around
2: Europe, Kelly. That would would seem like the bigger threat to the cruise lines, as you reported the other day. Uh, They've already voluntarily said we're not going to sail from U.S. ports before September 15th. So we have some time. Would any of these disputes, I wonder, start to carry on past that time frame?
11: Yeah, and that is the big question. So in regards to the suspension here in the U.S., that's still September 15th. At that time, a Carnival spokesperson had told me that there is a good chance sailings in Europe will return before the U.S. Hmm. However, with this report, it does suggest perhaps that may not happen or could complicate that timeline. All three of these cruise lines have exposure to Europe and have sailings uh, across the continent. So yep. now that raises another big flag.
2: And all down more than 10 percent today, still 60, 70 percent off their highs. Seema, thanks very much. Sima Modi with the latest there. Coming up, we'll talk more about the market. Stocks are getting slammed as more COVID cases spike across the country. And we're going to drill down on some individual sectors and the biggest movers. And take a look at the casino stocks. Speaking of which, these names are all under pressure as they fight to stay open. Caesars is even paying customers to wear a mask. We've got those details coming up on The Exchange. Welcome back. Markets just moved a notch lower. We're down 736. Again, at the lows, we are down 859. And that was just uh, as New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut announced that we've quarantined visitors from hot spots. So we're talking about nearly a 3% drop for the Dow this afternoon. We've got full team coverage of this sell-off. Kate Rogers is watching the restaurants for us. Wilfred Frost is on the banking beat. Josh Lipton is looking at the moves in cloud stocks. Courtney Reagan is tracking the retail wreckage. And Julia Borston has the latest on Disney World's attempt to reopen. Kate, kick things off for us. Hey, Kelly, well, restaurant stocks taking a dip
12: with the broader market. But if you look closer, there are some clear covid driven trends. The biggest drops we're seeing are in casual names that have been suffering long before the pandemic hit. Brinker, Chili's parent company, Blumen Brands, Outback's owner and Darden Olive Garden's parent company, all dipping between around six and eight and a half percent. Fast food names including Shake Shack, Wendy's, Restaurant Brands International, Yum! Brands and McDonald's are also all falling, but not as badly as casual thanks to things like drive through and carry-out options. But the names that are holding up better than most, those that have these robust delivery and carry-out systems that consumers have been turning to in the pandemic, Papa John's, Chipotle, Wingstop, and Domino's, just turned negative. It's been in and out of the green uh,
2: throughout this market freefall. Kelly, back over to you. How comfortable, Kate, do people feel going back to the restaurants? And I imagine that must be changing dramatically in in places where we're seeing more outbreaks.
12: Yeah, that's right. So restaurant transaction data continued to improve down about 12 percent, which is good news for the week ended uh, June 14th. But in terms of dining out, our own CNBC and change research finds that only about 40 percent of consumers basically say that they're comfortable dining out at this stage in the pandemic. So that's, you know, less than half
2: basically saying that they'd be willing to get out there and try this out. Yeah, Kate, thanks very much, uh, Kate Rogers, watching those stocks for us. Let's turn to the banks now, where some of the biggest commercial names are under pressure. They're down 3 to 4% and the sector was already under pressure as the second worst performer this year. Uh, it's always bad news with Wilfred Frost.
13: <laughs> well, sometimes I bring some good news, Kelly. Uh, but today, no, the banks uh, index down 4.5%. Uh, year-to-date performance now 35% lower, uh, obviously uh, well behind the rest of the market, as you uh, suggested. Banks had benefited from the late May and early June rotation into cyclical value stocks, but we are now down around 20 percent just since the 5th of June. Why is that? Well, rotation reversal, particularly days like today when virus fears resurface. Uh, Number two, interest rates and that commitment to lower rates for longer from Chair Powell at the Fed meeting uh, earlier this month acted as an extra blow for banks on top of the sector rotation. And then there are a couple of specific events coming too. First of all, stress test results. Uh, they're due tomorrow. Uh, and final factor, earnings. Uh, they're due the second week of July. Uh, so, not necessarily imminent, uh, but perhaps more important than CCAR, the stress test results tomorrow. We uh, can see the scale of uh, bad loans once again when we get to earnings and can expect significant differentiation between the different names at that point. And for a snapshot of that, have a look at Morgan Stanley versus Wells Fargo year-to-date. One uh, down around 50%, the other was in fact flat year-to-date earlier uh, in the month of June, wow. Kelly.
2: That's incredible. That is a huge uh, performance gap. It also maybe speaks to some of the sort of transitional changes all these banks might have to think about. But this, I, I do feel bad in some ways. I mean, this is a, a really tough macro environment if you're the banks. And so, like you said, you can still differentiate performance by making certain strategic moves, Morgan Stanley versus Wells Fargo. But, you know, even the fact that they have record high cash levels, Will, is not a good thing. It means they have to hold more capital as those balance sheets expand. I mean, they're really caught in the middle of this right now. And I suppose they just have to wait like everybody else for some sort of big resolution on the the coronavirus.
13: Yeah, listen, I think the first question that bank stocks have uh, faced when they were at the March lows was, are we going to go through a depression-style uh, economic pullback, in which case uh, banks' future would be in question. They've, they've answered that question uh, pr- pretty confidently uh, so far. The, the question now is when will they actually be making significant amounts of earnings again? And uh, you throw in where the interest rate curve is, uh, and that's still to be answered. I think the clarity will get uh, at earnings, and that's why I suggest that uh, we might see some differentiation, not just investment bank versus regional bank, but even Within the regional banks is just how exposed different names are to some of the most problem areas, whether that's airlines or restaurants or or movie theaters. And and that might allow some of them uh, to to rally a little bit, but certainly uh, not uh, game changing amounts.
2: No, but that's a great point. It'd be nice to get that clarity. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We'll see you in a little bit. Let's check in on the cloud stocks meantime, which had been a big outperformer this year. They're also selling off today. That puts the Nasdaq's longest winning streak of the year in jeopardy. Let's get more from Josh Lifted now. Josh.
14: So Kelly, check out one closely watched uh, cloud computing ETF. The ticker here is CLOU. It's in the red today. Some of the names in that ETF to watch would be Dropbox, Shopify, Workday, and Box. Though we should keep uh, this move in context. This group has surged some 70% from its March lows. Analysts chalk that up to strong business activity with pipelines building, they say, and deals getting done. DA Davidson's Rishi Jaluria says the pandemic and resulting work-from-home trend has acted as a kind of accelerant, motivating faster adoption by corporate customers of the very next generation technologies that these companies provide. And one cloud name to watch and an outperforming that Jaluria is a fan of, Twilio, down today, but this one has surged, get this, more than 200% from its March lows. Companies benefiting, he says, from strong demand for its products from companies with online services like food delivery, e-commerce, and telemedicine. Kelly, back to you.
2: Do we think there's more going on here, Josh? Than, I mean, look, when the Nasdaq's been on an eight-day run, when these stocks have been performing so well, is it possible that they just need a, a breather?
14: Yeah, sure. I mean, this has been tremendous runs for many of these stocks. Um, At the same time, listen, the last earnings season, Kelly, at least a lot of the big names we can say are holding up relatively well. And as you work from home, as people now uh, work more, play more, learn from home, they're they're depending on a lot of the technologies that these companies are providing, right? Everything from e-commerce to cloud computing. So it'll be an interesting trend to watch.
2: Yep. Josh, thanks very much, sir. And let's turn to retail now with every area of that sector falling today, from Macy's to Nordstrom to Nike. Courtney Reagan is here for more on court. Some of these names are down 6%.
15: Yeah, and some even bigger moves than that. I mean, you've got retailers like Macy's, Kohl's, American Eagle. They're all talking about trends that are better than expected, at least in some of these early reopenings. But if areas of the country are looking more like we're seeing big outbreaks or the possibility of all of these closures continuing, it's going to be really tough and derail retail in a big way. So check out some of these department stores specialty retailers names selling off markedly. Bed, Bath & Beyond down 9.5%, Gap off more than 8 Nordstrom, Macy's, Kohl's, the department store names, off more than 6%. Off-price names. Kelly, we talked about these earlier this week on your show, like TJX, Ross Stores, Burlington. They rely on the in-store treasure hunt experience. And if you can't go to the stores because there's an outbreak and they close again, this is going to be trouble. Ross Stores down 5%. And look, we might be wearing a lot of athleisure as we're at home and spending more time outdoors when we can do that safely. But you really don't have any protection in that group either. Under Armour shares down 5.5%. VF Corp, remember, they own the North Face. Timberland, those are down more than 6%. Accessories, footwear, those names sharply lower, like DSW Parent, Designer Brands, those shares are down almost 10% today. Copri Holdings, remember that owns Michael Kors. Versace, more than 6% down. Fossil, more than 9% lower. Kelly? And I'm thinking through the regional exposure
2: here, Courtney, your home state, Ohio, is one of the places kind of getting on you know, the, the map. Unfortunately, hospitalization's up for 30 straight days and it, if that kind of helps explain who who's most at risk
15: here? Yeah, it's just so tricky to see what's going to happen. And as your earlier segment was talking about, the hospitalization rates are actually gonna be somewhat of a lagging indicator when we're talking about infection. Big decisions have to be made here about what you're going to do to protect both your workers and the shoppers in store. it's really a shame because obviously not only did we think as a country we were healing from this health crisis perhaps but also some of these retailers were reporting better trends. Shopper Tracks said, yeah, traffic is still down but only about 34% year over year it was down about 83% earlier in the crisis. So shoppers were coming back out in some areas of the country. We'll see what happens. One more thing, Courtney, real quickly. I'm thinking about Apple, which on Friday made the
2: decision to close stores in some of these outbreak states. And that, of course, sent the whole market lower. But could it be that if, you know, authorities are less willing to to do these blanket shutdowns, could retailers be leading the way in terms of making that decision themselves?
15: Absolutely, Kelly. And I think that's a really good point. A lot of times, at least from the conversations I've had with these retailers, it doesn't even necessarily come from the headquarters level, meaning it's going to have to be a decision that's made on the ground by many of these store managers or perhaps the shopping centers. And then the tenants come together and make a decision because they are getting more information more quickly on the ground and can just do what's appropriate to protect the health of everyone involved. So I think in some cases you're going to see it go from bottom up as opposed to the other way around if we yeah. see more of these re-closures.
2: Yeah, great point. Courtney, thank you so much, Courtney Reagan. And that. let's now turn to shares of Disney. They are falling as employees call for a delay in reopening parks. While cases in Florida jump, the state just reported a new single-day record for new cases. California just reported a big increase as well. Let's bring in Julia Borson with all of those details. Julia? Well, Kelly, more
16: than 7,500 people have signed a MoveOn.org petition to call on Disney to delay the July 11th opening of Disney World in Florida until they see a decline in COVID cases in that state. Now, this comes after a dozen unions representing some 17,000 Disneyland employees in California wrote to California Governor Gavin Newsom last week saying that they believe it's still unsafe to open that park. Disney telling us, quote, the safety and well-being of our Our cast members and guests are at the forefront of our planning, and we look forward to continued dialogue with our unions on the extensive health and safety protocols following guidance from public health experts, which we plan to implement as we move towards our proposed phased reopening. Now, it is worth noting that Disney's parks division was its biggest profit growth driver last year. the, The division was Disney's largest by revenue, so certainly a lot of pressure there. But it's worth noting, as we await California to approve the opening of the parks here, we're still awaiting that from the governor, that Universal's Orlando Park is already open at limited capacity.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if they would ever make a reversal on that count, Julia. It's interesting that this one's coming from the workers uh, as it regards Disney.
16: Yeah, no, it really speaks to the fact that Disney really needs to make sure that both its workers and its visitors feel really comfortable. It doesn't send a particularly good message to Disney fans, to people who might want to go visit the park that the workers are saying this right now, Um, but you really need all of their constituents to feel comfortable for, for this to work out. So I know that Disney is really doing everything it can right now to make sure that that environment is safe at the parks. The question that we're hearing the employees ask is whether there's any world in which it makes sense to open the doors
2: right now. Yeah, but you're right. Disney in particular has a lot riding on this. Julia, thanks very much. Julia Borston with the latest there. Still ahead, consumer discretionary is falling in today's sell-off and Bank of America has some new data to break down how social distancing will influence consumer behavior and which names could benefit. That's next. As we head to break, check out the biggest drags on the Dow today. Boeing, Dow Inc., and Disney, as we were just discussing, all topping the list. Boeing's down more than 5%. Disney down nearly that much. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today's sell-off with the Dow down 764 points right now is dragging on stocks that even had been enjoying a bump from the stay-at-home trend. Tractor supply is the only one hanging on to a slim gain. It's up about a tenth, three-tenths of a percent. But Lowe's is down more than 2%. RH is down more than 3%. The surge in cases may keep us at home for longer. So what will changing consumer trends do to these at-home stocks? Let's bring in Liz Suzuki, research analyst at Bank of America Securities. Liz, it's great to see you again. And a lot of the names that you recommend are the kind of familiar stay-at-home plays. Are there any new additions to this list?
17: Yeah. I mean, so a lot of the stocks that we highlight in this note are you know, some of the stocks that have done very well from consumers being stuck at home. So Lowe's, Tractor Supply, Amazon, Wayfair. Um, but then we also look at Stocks that will benefit from consumers moving out into less population-dense areas, so you know millennials moving out to uh, to the suburbs and maybe buying their first home, that would benefit the betting stocks. Think about Tempur-Sealy, TPX, which is not one of the names that has gotten hmm. a significant rally during COVID. So you know, we tried to highlight a couple of uh, of other stocks that aren't quite as obvious in this report that will ultimately be beneficiaries
2: of this urban exodus. That's fascinating. Maybe it helps Casper too. I don't know. Who else would be on that list of of that kind of demographic trend?
17: Sure. I mean, purple as well—a um, really interesting uh, betting stock that has really just become a big up-and-comer. Also, uh, RH and Bed Bath and Beyond. I mean, Bed Bath and Beyond shares are under a lot of pressure today. But when you think about the things that you need to furnish and decorate a home, that's often one of the first places people go. They also have a really strong e-commerce department, so they aren't quite as reliant on those—you know—on uh, people being in the stores, which we think is important for right now. And they also just shored up their liquidity in a pretty big way. So 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 we think that they're in a pretty good position here, especially to benefit post-COVID, you know, for a multi-year
2: period. And you're also raising your price target on tractor supply. And people should know that's a a gym uh, play as well, a workout. We got our horse mats (laughs) there. Uh, They weigh about 90 pounds each, but they're fantastic as gym flooring lives. So uh, you've only raised the price target by $6, but how much upside could tractor Mm -hmm. supply have here?
17: Yeah, I mean one of the reasons why that one we didn't raise the, the price target quite as much as uh, you know as you might think is because they've already told us what their quarter to date trends are looking like. They're very strong. That's already priced into to analyst expectations for the second quarter. Not quite as much when you think about lows and the second quarter expectations there. You know, the, the credit card data that we've been tracking at Bank of America has shown incredibly strong trends in home improvement spending. And yet the consensus estimates are still calling for you know mid to high single growth digit growth for sales in the second quarter for Lowe's. So I think there's potentially some some opportunity for upside there. Longer term with Tractor Supply, though, remember that this is a growth retailer. They're still building new stores. They're still expanding their store base, whereas you know Lowe's and Home Depot are not. They're pretty much just staying with the same level store. So, so Tractor Supply is a growth retailer that's still trading at a pretty attractive multiple, at, you know around 22 times.
2: Let's talk about Amazon and the other online retailers where you do think there's a lasting shift here, as many do. I mean, that this is really accelerating the adoption sure. of e-commerce. But Wayfair, is that right? This pops up on your list as well because this is a super volatile name.
17: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Wayfair and Amazon are covered by my uh, my associate Justin Post at Bank of America, who covers e-commerce and, and internet companies. So you know, from from my perspective, covering the brick and mortar retailers, I think of Amazon and Wayfair as pretty key competitors for a lot of a lot of my companies. But they are certainly gaining market share. That's not new. I think what is new, though, is the the rate of adoption of e-commerce capabilities that consumers have been willing to go to. So our survey showed that uh, that almost ninety percent of customers. Customers are using some form of omnichannel capabilities. So either buy online, pick up in store, uh, deliver to home, or, uh, you know, or uh, curbside pickup. So there are a lot of different opportunities that retailers have to use omni-channel if they've already invested in it, right? That's the key differentiator is that, between the haves and the have-nots in retail, if you haven't already invested in Omnichannel, you're going to be doing a lot of spending. So those retailers that are really adept at, uh, at, at Omnichannel or are digitally native, those are, are probably going to get the biggest benefit. But again, this is an acceleration of an existing trend.
2: Yep. And Best Buy, I know, comes up here as people build out those home offices. Liz, thanks very yep. much for all these ideas. We appreciate it. Thank you. Liz Suzuki with Bank of America. The casino stocks are getting hit in today's sell-off as COVID cases spike in Clark County, Nevada. We'll have those full details next. MGM's down 8%, Wynn's down nearly 10%. And as we had to break, take a look at gold, which is going the other way. It's sitting at its highest level since October 2012 at 1775 an ounce as investors seek some safety, perhaps think about more Fed uh, money expansion and so forth. The exchange will be back with much more right after this. Welcome back. The rising count of coronavirus cases is taking down the boost stocks as bar and restaurant sales are under pressure. Frank Holland has those details. Frank?
7: Yeah, there, Kelly. Global spirits brands, including AB InBev, the maker of Budweiser, Diageo, the maker of Johnny Walker, and Corona Maker Constellation brands, all trading lower on COVID 19 concerns. And what that could mean to beer and restaurant sales, as well as the sales of their premium products. Now, globally, premium and super premium beer sales that make up about a quarter of revenues for brewers and more than a third of the volume for beer and spirits was sold in bars and restaurants and nightclubs pre pandemic. Another wave of shutdowns that could just be devastating for spirits and brewers, makers that normally see their sales pick up in the summer months. Back over to you.
2: Although, Frank, as you've reported and as I see around me, more people are getting familiar with the what is it? Is it bubbly or drink? You know, the, the apps where you can get it delivered.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Drizzly and other apps where you can get it delivered. Those online sales are certainly picking up, but it's hard to replace people going out on a Friday night with their friends, drinking in a bar in a restaurant. When people order at home, it's just not the same.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. Frank, thank you, sir. Frank Holland, keeping an eye on those names for us. Meantime, Las Vegas is breaking another covid record this week with a spike Monday of four hundred and twelve cases. Contessa Brewer is here for what that means for the casinos they are selling off hard today, Contessa?
0: Yeah, they are. Kelly, uh, Kel, I'm watching these casino stocks and what we're seeing is a sell off over the fears of coronavirus wind down 8% right now. MGM is off 9%. Red Rock Resorts, which really relies on residents who live in Clark County, is off more than 9%. And then you're seeing Penn National Gaming down 10 and a third. Some of this may be profit-taking because, after all, Penn and other casinos, Penn especially, has seen a massive triple-digit run-up in stocks over the last three months. But It has casinos in a lot of places that are seeing infections rise. And there's some fear now about whether these spiking coronavirus infections in California and Arizona will keep people from driving to Las Vegas. That and the locals are driving what revenue is coming in right now. And we're hearing about these high profile athletes testing positive. That introduces a worry about Plans for sports to return being disrupted and thereby sports betting. Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak has so far opted not to issue an order to wear masks in public or even generally in casinos. But he's holding a news conference tonight, and I'll be watching to see if that changes more broadly. Kelly, if rising infections interfere with the economy continuing to reopen, it means fewer people with jobs or
2: disposable income to go visit casinos and spend. I thought it was interesting, Contessa, that Caesars was paying people 20 bucks to wear a mask. What does that tell you? Well, they handed out $420 vouchers to play to
0: patrons who were already wearing masks. They said that they really wanted to incentivize this responsible behavior within the casinos. So why aren't they just taking a, a step further and mandating masks on their property? I talked to a casino owner yesterday who owns two downtown Las Vegas casinos, and he said to me, we're following the mandate from the governor. They really want to take their cues from the leaders because I think they are afraid that it will interfere with any competitive advantage if you're the property that forced masks wearing and your
2: competitor down the street doesn't. It's an interesting point as well about sports betting. Don't you agree? I mean, people are getting more nervous now that we have, you know, Brooks Kepka testing positive for golf and people pulling out of, you know, the NBA tournament. And I can't imagine. I mean, that would that would just be like a kicking the dog when he's down at this point for these names. Yeah,
0: I mean, what they saw was a huge rush to bet on, like, Korean soccer and, and you know, these minor league baseball games internationally I think at this point, there's all this pent-up demand to see sports return. And anything that disrupts that is going
2: to be a knock to the gut for these uh, for these sports betting stocks. Absolutely. Contessa, thanks very much. Contessa Brewer monitoring that for us. As we head to break, check out what's going on with the markets today. The Dow is sitting near its lows of the session. We're down about 750 points. Again, the low was down 859. That came mostly when New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut announced they would uh, require quarantines for visitors from outbreak states. So we've Climb back not too, too much from those levels. The Dow's down nearly 3%. S&P down 2.7%. NASDAQ down 2.3% right now. And the Russell 2000s, the small caps, are down 3.5%. We will have much more on this market sell-off on the other side of this break. That does it for us on The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.